For years, drone technology has seemed mostly like a fun toy on American farms. But now companies and progressive farmers are making use of that tech to do a lot of different work on their operations. What's new in the ag drone space? That's today on Field Posts. a DTN progressive farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. Drones and other autonomous aircraft have been a niche technology that have gained a lot of attention for years in American agriculture, but they've been plagued by the problem that too often they're too advanced or expensive a tool for what actually needs doing on America's farms. That's starting to change rapidly, according to senior editor of The Progressive Farmer, Joel Richenberger, who's reporting this month on how farmers are using drone technology to do valuable work and logging a meaningful return on investment in the process. In part two of our ag tech check-in, we'll talk with Joel about what's next for these technologies, how farmers are adopting them, and the kinds of novel tasks they're completing on farms. All that and more, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. Joel Richenberger is a senior editor for The Progressive Farmer who has been following high-tech stories in agriculture for years. Today, he joins us to drill down on the latest stories he's been tracking in 2022. Joel, last week here on the podcast, we talked a bit about autonomous and what is ahead for equipment, but there is a whole other half of this equipment equation that's maybe not as top of mind for folks, but that is out there and getting used and getting adopted, I think, more often. Talk to us about drones. Where are we in this whole picture? Well, I think it's something that's really starting to come into focus. That's really starting to, farmers are really starting to see real ways they can use some of this technology when it comes to drones. I've been with Progressive Farmer for almost four years now. And when I first started, you kind of, you, you talk with some farmers about drone technology and we're talking about aerial drones for the most part, the quadcopters, the DJI kind of things. And a lot of them kind of acted like they were toys a little bit. And a lot of maybe acted like it was something that they thought they were supposed to have or supposed to be going out and buying and supposed to be starting to use. But at least some of them hadn't found real good practical ways to use them yet. They didn't really feel like they were getting real good practical information back from them yet. But that's really starting to change, I feel like. Um, I was recently able to visit with a farmer out in east in eastern Washington. Andrew Nelson's his name, and he, he is a sharp guy. He is he he had a career working in software development before he came back to the family farm. He grew up on the farm and was always really into computers and technology. And then and then went to college at University of Washington and, and brought some of his what he learned there back to the farm. 
And just in every way, he is, he's right on the edge with technology, and which from my end makes a super fascinating guy to stand there, sit there and talk to. And he's not just using drones just, just for the fun of it. He's using drones because he's finding a real return on his farm from them. And so it was really fun to see how he's implementing this in the field. And he started a couple of years ago using a couple of drones for scouting. And uh, he's still doing that. He's got three different drones he uses for scouting in various ways. And he told me each one has a different purpose and a different way he uses them and uh, provides a little bit different kind of information. He does flyovers of all of his fields once a season, and then he will uh, problematic spots in further detail beyond that. And he is, I think within the last year, he's added a sprayer drone to his fleet, which is also interesting. And there are some other companies, there are some companies out there that are offering that service using aerial drone sprayers, but he runs his himself. He doesn't bring in an outside company for that. So that's really interesting to see as well. Right now he just flies one, but he has dreams of flying. He told me he could fly up to six with the software he currently has. And he'd love to do that. Right now he uses it again to really spot spray or to, he said, that I think in the spring, it had been wet in the spring and there was one 20 acre plot he couldn't get to with his ground sprayer. And he was able to, to fly this, this sprayer over to do it. But in the future, I think you would definitely be looking for more efficiency by adding six of them. And by really being able to scout and with a sprayer up high like that, really just hit the parts of the field that actually need it. And so that's something else he's really focused on. But he uses them. He uses aerial drones in, all, in, in other ways, too. It's not just that, which is what I expected. Like scouting and spraying are the two areas where I see farmers use them the most. But the thing that fascinated me the most, maybe, of everything that he envisions, so he's there in eastern Washington, there are a lot of elk and deer around. But a lot of farmers can probably sympathize with, with having having animals to get in their crops and tear stuff up. I know feral, feral hogs are a problem in a lot of parts of the country, but there it's elk. And, and they're not just, they're a real problem in, in some of these wheat fields out there. They're not just, it's no small thing. And he was telling me that he's working on an AI program that he's attaching, to, he already has cameras spread through all of his fields. And in these platforms are out in the middle of the fields. And he's working on an AI program that will be able to watch the field that's across the valley from where he set up this platform. And it will detect when a herd of elk has moved into the field. And so that's one piece of the technology. The other piece of the technology is from a company in Europe. And he's working on, he wants to be the first ones in the United States to bring this over. But And that technology will allow the AI to launch a drone that will fly over and I, I think either playing playing some sound or something to, to scare the elk back out of the field and back into the forest or wherever. And, you know, he'll be still be at home in bed, theoretically, or making his coffee that morning. And there's a lot of FAA hoops to jump through in that regard. And, and I think that's some of the stuff he's uh, currently dealing with. But I'm inspired by the ambition and kind of the ways to solve some problems with this, with aerial drone technology, which which a couple of years ago, I don't think all the solutions were quite there yet. Yeah, definitely. It feels like one of the big things that has come along in the last several years was the software kind of element of it in the apps and making it really accessible and making sure that you're not just using a drone for photography. Talk to us a little bit about how that software element, that usability is playing into it. And I think the other half of that question is, do you have to be a software engineer to use it? Or is there is usability becoming more of a priority? No, that's a great point. I, I think us, usability is coming a long way as well. And he doesn't, he writes some of his own apps and stuff. And that's fascinating in its own right. But a lot of the stuff he's using is off the shelf as well. And he tries to make a point, a point to use stuff off the shelf. And yeah, boy, I couldn't tell you exactly what programs he does use, but he definitely is looking for ways to expand that scouting side of it. 
And he talked a lot about how at this point he's compiling the data year over year and how big of a difference that makes. One of the things he talked about how there was a field right across from his house. And so the one that he woke up and saw every morning, the one he drove by every time he went to town, every time he took the kids to school or anything like that. And so the crabgrass out in that field really bothered him just because he had to look at it all the time. If this field had been on the other side, on the other side of the county, maybe it wouldn't have bothered him so much. But he looked at that crabgrass every day, just drove him nuts. So he was he was bound and determined to to use this technology and his drones to get that crabgrass, but he wanted to test it as well. So he sat down and, and was like, okay, where do I think I need to spray for this crabgrass? Where do I think the problem is? And he tried to draw circles on a map of where he thought the problem was going to be. And uh, then he pulled up his actual data from the year before, his drone his drone scouting video uh, footage and and maps, and he'd missed almost half of it. Like he wasn't even close. And he was going on, growing up on a farm, you, you feel like you know a farm, right? A farmer's memory is only so good is what he learned. And so he was able to be much more efficient and actually get the spots he actually needed to once he really started applying, studying those maps and, and really applying the actual data he had rather than relying upon his own memory. I'm curious on this ad adoption question. I think there has been a bit of conversation as well in the last few years around drones about whether the farmer needs to own the equipment or not, and whether people are tending towards wanting to own it or working with a company who's going to fly the drone and be responsible and just deliver the information. I'm curious whether as part of this conversation, you got any insight on are, are farmers seeming to lean more towards owning their own drones, or is there more companies who are offering to provide the insights and the farmers don't have to buy it themselves? So two of the companies I've really spent a lot of time talking to both go different directions. One of them is, is Rantizo, which is a company out of Iowa. And they've done a lot of the pioneering in terms of getting the, the first F, a lot of the first FAA approvals for aerial commercial drone spraying. And they their model, at least as of now, is for there always to be operators for it, whether it be the local co-op or companies around you know, small startups around the country or small companies around the country or, or licensed operators around the country. They don't necessarily envision you owning you owning the equipment. In fact, they take DJI equipment and and kind of rebuild it in order to make it fit within all the FA appropriate FAA guidelines and be able to spray and be able to run their software. Then on the other end is Helio, which is a company I saw them last summer and, and spoke with some of their people as well. But they're kind of on the other end where they're shipping you the drones and 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 giving you a lesson on how to do it and teaching you how to do it yourself. As to which one's going to win, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. Is the end result of this something the local co-op does in the long run? Or is it something that you keep your drone by the planter in the shed? I think we're just going to have to wait and see at this point. But and this is certainly my experience is the way technology works, where a couple, I don't know if this is the VHS first beta of aerial drone technology, but uh, it'll be interesting to see which method wins out here. Maybe there's kind of room for both philosophies too. Certainly for some operations, it might be worth having them have someone on the farm in the operation spend the time to learn to to really learn the ins and outs of the aerial technology. And for others, they're better off hiring that out. So maybe there is a, a middle ground there somewhere, but it'll be interesting. And I think that's still kind of developing. I can imagine there might be some technological limitations there as well in terms of, I'm imagining a lot of these drones are connected to a wireless signal or using some other kind of 5G or cell technology to navigate and to issue orders about directions and stuff. I'm curious, have in conversations you've had with farmers or these companies, are they worried about limit kind of infrastructure limitations if there's not good broadband in a field or if there's not good internet connectivity or things like that? 
Yeah, that's something that I think I think everyone's hoping is continuing to develop fast as well. You know, I mean, no rural broadband has come a long way even in the last couple of years. My parents live in the most one of the most populous counties in the state of Kansas and 15 minutes outside Wichita, the largest city in the state of Kansas, and they couldn't get broadband internet until about a year ago. All of a sudden, finally, they could talk to me about the Netflix shows and stuff, which for the longest time, I think a lot of us just took for granted that everybody had access to that kind of stuff. Point being, it always stunned me how slowly rural broadband was rolling out and how limited some of the options were for in, in a lot of these areas. I, I think that's improving very quickly. I certainly know there's been a lot of government money pumped into that as well. And that doesn't mean it's certainly, it's probably a long ways from reaching every corner of rural America where people are farming, but hopefully that's coming. And it'll be really interesting to see how stuff like Starlink satellites and, and those kind of systems also come along to, to solve some of those issues. So I guess, I guess hopefully there are answers coming on that. Um, you know, and hopefully we see solutions on that here, here in the near future. But yeah, I think that's gotta be a limitating factor at some point. A lot of these systems, in my experience, are designed to run without necessarily cell service. So they can maybe communicate with a base unit or something that is going to be at the end of the field. So they don't maybe need a 5G signal. Although I think the, the better connection they end up with, the wider all this technology can expand. You, maybe you're not going to see it really reach all the far corners of ag in the United States until, until they can reliably count on having, having good connection. Great kind of segue into my next question, which is about adoption in different markets and where this is maybe a little bit more popular. In your reporting, have you seen more interest or excitement about drones or and this kind of related technology maybe in more of the specialty crop markets versus traditional commodity grains? Is It seemed like there's some places where there's more either added benefits or just more opportunity to do the experimentation that you need to get on top of it. It's really interesting when it comes to the specialty markets. I, I grew up on a wheat field in, in Kansas, as I just mentioned, outside Wichita, the south central part of the state. And we didn't do specialty crops. We did wheat and milo. And then every once in a while, they'd experiment with something like canola or sunflowers or something. But for the most part, wheat and milo. But so I wasn't really necessarily aware of the role specialty crops could play. And even with Progressive Farmer and DTN, so much of our coverage is geared toward toward the, Iowa and Illinois and, and the South, certainly where, again, you don't get into a lot of specialty crops. But it's really interesting seeing the technology coming out of California. And it was easy for me initially to look at some of them and be like, well, you know, that's for spraying you know, specialty crops or something. That's not necessarily like, call me when it comes to Illinois. But the, what you're seeing coming out of California, I feel like, is a lot of testing of the technology and a lot of precursor to what is going to come, those wide open fields someday. And by solving some of these issues, working in California, working in other areas, they're going to be ready when they come out to these other areas. And a lot of those crops out there need a lot more attention, which, again, is something maybe I didn't quite realize. One of the stories I did earlier this year, and I know another one of my colleagues, Dan Miller, has reported a lot on. Uh, Bear Flag Autonomous Tractors, and they have since been acquired by John Deere. They built a system to run tillage. It was like autonomous tillage in fields. And, you know, and they started in California, and I think they're, they're still based in California. And so I was asking them, why aren't you going out to the Midwest? We have these great big wide open fields. You can run your tillage out there. I didn't realize how much work fields of lettuce needed. They, they need to work dramatically more often than a soybean field or a wheat field or anything like that. So it makes a lot of sense. Your machine is going to run a lot more often on a lettuce field in California than it is a wheat field in Kansas. And so it makes a lot more sense to develop the technology there than it does in the Midwest. And at the same time, spraying can be a lot the same way, where some of those specialty crops need sprayed once a month as opposed to once or twice a year, maybe. And so the technology out there is going to see a lot more use and the engineers working on it are going to get a lot more test cases and a lot more information and a lot more experience running it out there than they are on, 
on some of the fields in the Midwest or the Great Plains? I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about another element of this that comes to mind for folks maybe who are thinking about getting into this or exploring what it might look like to adopt drone technology or some of these other new tools on their farm is the question of maintenance and what kind of relationship they're going to have with this tech company who provides this new tool when something goes wrong. I wonder if you could give us some insight on how folks are navigating that and thinking about most farmers can't fix a drone quite as easily as they can maybe do some work on a, a tractor or combine. So how are folks wading into that? Yeah, I think that's just kind of kind of part of the new world. You, you, you can't work on cars as, as effectively as you could 30 or 40 years ago, certainly. And obviously, it's the same with tractors, too much debate. I have a small DJI drone that I use for photography. If it breaks very significantly, fortunately, I've never crashed it. But if I do, there's only going to be so much I'm able to do to fix it. So I fly very carefully. But seriously, yeah, a lot of this stuff, there's only so much farmers are going to be able to do to fix some of the technology in these. So yeah, I think those relationships with, with the dealers where they got the equipment or with the the companies that supplied them you know, is going to be very important. And that does put farmers in in definitely a different spot than they were a couple of decades ago before before this technology was here in the same way and when stuff was a little easier to fix and a little easier to get into. I I think that's just going to, the world is changing in that regard. And, I know, and it's frustrating for a lot of people. And I guess I'm not sure exactly what the right answer ends up being. I just know I can't fix my drone if I crash it. And it's not about my ability to, or, or, or it's not about my permission to or not. It's about understanding <laughs> understanding what I've broken. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how that unfolds over the next decades. As more and more of this technology gets into farmers' shops, into the sheds, and and powering tractors, and the spraying, and, and all that, that's definitely going to be interesting to see how that all unfolds. Dovetailing maybe off that a little bit is the question of, along with that relationship for with the company for maintenance, there's also the relationship with the company around data. I think for all of these technologies to work, they're collecting an incredible amount of information about specific fields, specific crops, specific farms in general. Are you hearing a lot of concern from folks who are adopting this? And is there ongoing conversations around how, as folks adopt these new technologies, they're thinking about protecting their data privacy, all those things? Yeah, I think it's I think it's something on a lot of farmers' minds, and I think a lot of the time when they see some of the results of what what they can get back from their data, I think they're a little more comfortable turning it over, but they're still not comfortable having it just off and out to to, to everybody else in the world. But I think farmers are really starting to see just the tremendous amount of information and insight into their own fields that again they thought they knew so well, which I mean a lot of them do know very well, but still there's still so much you can't see and so much you can learn when you analyze it over years and over decades. And as they continue to compile that data more and more themselves, just the incredible advantages that can be realized. I think that'll be a big factor for farmers. The privacy side of it, that, that's always certainly a concern with farmers and with everybody, obviously. But I certainly think farmers are a little uncomfortable with the idea of their information just being out and easy to easy for anyone to grab and and use. And they don't know how they're going to use it. And they don't, they don't necessarily like knowing um, like everybody knowing everything about their fields. When I was a kid, it was always real important that the, the yield of your highest plot when you went to church on Sunday so that you could tell your neighbors. It was always really important that, that you have, they had that information for bragging rights when you're standing around after church on Sunday. And and these days, farmers may still want to know that, but but they definitely don't want, they're not super keen on the neighbor knowing the yield of every single plot they had and uh, what they put on every single thing that they've done. They could keep a lot of that close to the vest and they just don't know where it's going to go and where it's going to end up and then how that could come back to to haunt them a little bit. And so I certainly think those concerns are going to continue to be paramount for farmers. They're really going to, 
And it's something they need to keep an eye on what, what information they release and where it's going. And is it going into some great big database somewhere? Is it going to be still identifiable to them? Those are all really important questions to a farmer, but there's really tremendous value there too for on their individual farm and for, for the regions and for, for whole swaths of the country. I think there's a lot of value to be had in understanding what the farm next door is doing or down the road, or that can answer a lot of questions that farmers have had for years, I think. A complicated issue for sure. Last couple of questions here. I want to ask a question that I think inevitably every farmer will be thinking at this point in the conversation, which is what does the cost look like around these new technologies? I'm sure the difference between leasing a, a drone or a piece of new technology versus owning or buying outright, obviously big variation there. Are you seeing costs trend down in this becoming a little bit more affordable or is it still pretty expensive? I feel like it's still pretty expensive. You're still, with a lot of this stuff, you're still in, in pretty early phases of it. You can certainly get in a DJI drone now for something to be usable on the farm for, I don't know, less than two grand maybe to, to start with. But to get to, to take those steps up to, to, to really add equipment with more, with more capability, the price is going to go up quick. And a lot of these companies are still just starting out and they're in the, you're still really in the early adopter stage. Like I was speaking about Andrew Nelson earlier. I mean, he's the definition of an early adopter. Like he, he wants to be the first person with that thing to scare away the elk. He wants to be the first person in the country to use that. And there's, that's not the only piece of equipment where he strives to be one of the very first people. Like he is not an early adopter. He is the early adopter on a lot of that stuff. And so, yeah, hopefully in, in 10 years when it'll continue to trickle down, you've seen a lot of technology that, you know, evolves in the same way where it trickles down over the years and becomes the first, it makes sense if you have, if you have 20,000 acres, then maybe 10 or 5,000 acres. And finally, it might reach down to the small farmers today who, who might have 1,000 or 2,000 acres. It, it might be 10 years before it trickles, or 10 or 20 years before it trickles down that far. And if you look at like auto steer and automatic guidance, that's something that has slowly trickled down from when it started a couple decades ago to now. It's been on equipment that a lot of farmers have used equipment that those smaller farmers have bought over the years. And now they can go out and buy kits that are way cheaper than certainly than the initial systems were. And and that, I assume that'll happen with drones as well. Maybe I can't imagine there's much of a used market at this point for drones, but at some someday there will be. And, and that, that'll all help drive the price down and, and make it more accessible to, to you know small farmers as well as large farmers. But I, I don't think we're there yet where the price has really started dropping very much. A wrap-up question on the drone topic. What's next? As you're watching this story evolve and looking to the next couple of years, do you expect adoption to tick up significantly? Do you expect still new technology to be moving through the system? What will you be keeping an eye on going forward? I, I think one of the big things holding us back is the FAA regulations. And I think they're there for good reason. But I also think as more farmers use this technology, they'll just see how much more efficiency can be gained if you could just, uh, if they could fly more autonomous drones at the same time, or if they could carry more, I mean, they're limited to 55 pounds in, in many cases, which really limits how much you can spray. I know they, I know farmers uh, who are using that technology, you know, think they could double or triple the amount that, that one drone could spray on a tank if there were no FAA regulations on the weight, or if the weight was, if the regulation was higher than 55 pounds. And, uh, and so I think we've already gotten so much more comfortable with drones as a technology than we were a decade ago when it was all still very brand new. And another decade, I think, will go a long way in that regard where we're more comfortable with them. And the FAA can really decide where the regulations are maybe best and what, where maybe there's some loopholes that, that should maybe be carved in to allow some of these operators to 
make their operations more efficient. And I mentioned Andrew again, he, he's really hoping to fly six, six of those drones at the same time. He's not even close in terms of the FAA regulation right now. He's hopeful that it will be someday before too long. And when he is, he could park his ground sprayer rig almost permanently, maybe. And maybe there's some long-term benefits for the country in that regard. So I think just as the government and as farmers become more and more familiar and comfortable with this technology, I, I think you'll start to see those regulations change. And I think that'll make a big difference. I think that's that when you really start to see it go from, from a niche thing that the that, that real cutting edge farmers do to something that, that maybe shows up on a lot more farms, becomes a lot more part of the way of life for a lot of farmers around the country. I just have one last question that I wanted to throw out. Beyond the kind of drone space or the, the autonomous space, I'm curious what other kind of tech stories you're watching right now and what's catching your eye in terms of what might be having an impact or, or having a debut perhaps in the 2022 season? There's so much. And uh, every time you go to one of these conferences or something and you hear about all the stuff everyone's working on, a lot of it goes over my head. Some of it is so out there, but there, there's a lot of cool stuff. I'm working on a story and I've been working on a story about kind of in-field soil sensors that really push the envelope on in terms of precision farming to where just to where you're almost monitoring by plant and the advantage that can bring and the efficiencies that can bring. And that's stuff people are working on. People are working on stuff on sensors that, that can go in fields and stay in fields year round and can be easily replaced. And they're cheap enough that, that farmers don't need to go retrieve them or worry about losing them or anything. But they those sensors can continue to deliver data and provide kind of year-round, season-long information from, from 100 spots across your field or 500 spots across your field. That can really turn this data revolution. I mean, it can really turn it, turn it to the next level. And then you pair, that with, you pair that with some of the incredible spraying technology that's coming out where it'll only spray the weed. You don't have to spray the whole field. And some of the drone technology, you pair that with the scouting from drones and with some of the capability these sprayer drones will have. And when you're really looking, there's really opportunity for farming in 20 years to look a lot different than it does now. And I know it already looks a lot different now than it did 20 years ago. So it's a really exciting time with a lot of this technology. It really feels like it's one of the times. It doesn't feel like farming changed a whole lot, maybe from the time my dad was a kid to uh, to the time when I was a kid. But uh, some bigger equipment, but but not a whole lot different. But it certainly feels like things are a lot different now than when I was a kid 30 years ago. To read Joel's extensive reporting on all things technology and to catch up on the latest reporting, check out the DTN Progressive Farmer magazine every month or catch up to the minute reporting anytime at dtnpf.com. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer with special thanks to Joel Richenberger. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.